bootstrapping gets so much love like publicly, right? People talk about, oh, bootstrapping is like, you know, this most amazing thing. And I think it's actually pretty damaging to people that want to start companies because if you tell somebody that has uh, college loans or they have a kid or things like that, and you say, oh yeah, just like bootstrap your idea until, until you're ready to raise, that just like doesn't compute, right? Welcome to the Vitalize Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, the Director of Marketing here at Vitalize Venture Capital. On today's episode, we have Jordy Hayes, who's the co-founder and CEO of Party Round, a company that's making the process of raising capital much, much easier for founders. At the end of 2021, they announced a raise of $7 million of venture capital from a wide variety of investors. And they're famous for the different drops they've done to get attention for their company, which have gone viral over and over again. We talk about that in this episode. Let's dive in. Jordy, welcome to the show, man. Stoked to be back. It's been a minute. Yes, it has been a while. And yeah, you've been up to a few things since we last chatted. I think a year and a half ago it was now. Uh, a different company. Now you have Party Round. And a lot of buzz around Party Round with what you guys are doing. Raised a bunch of money recently too. Uh, for people who don't know though, let's just set, set the scene here. What is Party Round, Jordy? Yeah. So Party Round, as you may have guessed from the name, is a fundraising tool for founders. So we make it really easy for founders that are doing safe financing rounds to come on to our product, um, create a round, start inviting investors. And the entire uh, process of fundraising kind of goes from, you know, being super expensive, time consuming to basically, you know, once you're set up on party round as a founder, all you have to do is invite investors, set how much you actually want them to invest. And we automate the the entire rest of the process, everything from documents to collecting funds, um, the whole experience end to end. And we make it a super digitally native experience, right? So as an investor, it's the same um, or even potentially better experience than you would get on other sort of fintech and um, investing platforms. And um, yeah, so we're, we're pretty focused there at the moment. Okay, hearing you describe it and obviously knowing about it before, having the context around it, it's like, okay, no brainer. Yeah, of course, it should be easier to fundraise. When you are when you started this company, though, you started. what was the idea around that? What did you see in the market? You're like, there, there isn't anything? Like, why isn't there anything? I'm curious about the starting of this. Yeah, totally. So a um, couple things. So one, around the time that we were starting this, um, actually going back to my last company, when I fundraised during that time, um, you know, I was young, uh, inexperienced. I, you know, while running the fundraising process, I had certain people that I wanted to get involved and realized just like how much, uh, how little fundraising had evolved in basically the entire history of, of Silicon Valley. And I, you know, yeah. one example being I had um, one of my first investors, a guy named Chris Quinn, who you would have a good conversation with. He at one point was like, hey, I'll put in $500 or whatever. I'm not investing a lot personally these days. So I take that back to my lawyer and I tell my lawyer, um, all right, I have this guy who's going to invest $500. And my lawyer basically like laughed, laughed me out of the room, uh, or at least the Zoom. And he was like, well, you realize that I cost $1,000 an hour. So after I help you raise this money, it's going to cost you like $1,000. You may as well just like shake your friend's hand and move on, right? It doesn't make any financial sense to raise this money. Um, at the time, like obviously felt that was silly, but I also was a little bit stubborn and I wanted him involved. So I ended up having him invest that money. Um, and soon, soon enough that, that, that investor, Chris had driven in like 50 grand in like attributable revenue from customer introductions that he made. So that was like definitely a light bulb moment to realize that like somebody's value as an investor is not tied 
to the dollar amount that they invest, right? In fact, it's oftentimes the quite quite the opposite. Yet, because like nobody had really created compelling software around something like this, it, it just made no financial sense to take less than sort of a 25K minimum at the time, right? And um, so, yeah, really felt that there needed to be something that allowed founders to, it shouldn't take any more effort, right, to raise uh, 50K from somebody as it should, uh, as it, or it shouldn't cost any more to raise 50K from somebody as it, as it takes to raise $500, right? And so software is a really sort of compelling solution for that. And then second, I was just sort of looking around the space and realizing that startup people had basically modernized investing in every single asset class, right? Like if you or I wanted to go invest in wine, sneakers, trading cards, like basically any alternative asset, uh, we could download an app on the app store and basically be invested in that in a second. Not to mention sort of what goes on in the NFT space where you or I could go um, spend our entire net worth on an NFT in about uh, you know, under a few minutes, yet if I'm sitting here fundraising and you're interested in investing, historically that process was entirely offline. So you had to like actually get documents out, um, deal with wire transfers and things like that. Um, when I was, you know, starting my, my first couple companies, I didn't even know what a wire transfer was, right? It's, it's not something, it's something that's totally foreign, right? And so the whole experience end to end, um, was super broken. And then when, when you actually looked out at the space, there's a lot of companies that have tried solving this problem in different ways, companies like Republic and WeFunder and other crowdfunding platforms. And companies like that provide a massive amount of value to the space. And I think they're super important, but they were fundamentally solving a totally different problem, right? Ultimately, companies like that main role within the ecosystem is to sell investment opportunities to retail investors, right? And so their role was like, how do we open up the private markets and allow anyone to invest? And those companies have been have found success and have found sort of a wedge in the market. But uh, what the result has been is that like the actual needs of companies, especially early stage companies that don't necessarily want to raise from the whole world, but they just want to raise from their immediate community. Those companies have, you know, been left with uh, very few options other than doing things in, a, in an entirely manual way. Yeah, and with that too. So you're seeing that opportunity in this market. Obviously, a personal pain point, and just more broadly, as you look around, you're like, okay, wow, it makes no sense that it's done this way. We can have a better solution for this. What were those next steps in terms of who you were going to either work with for this? You know, some of the things you're going to build with this. Because if you look at your website, and there's obviously the back end of actually pulling this off, but even some of the things you have done to create buzz, it's pretty impressive. But in the early days, like when you're just getting started, what was that vision around? Like, okay, this is what we're going to launch with. This is how we're going to launch. I'm curious about that. Totally. Um, first thing that Sarah, my co founder, and I did was um, track down Brian and Brandon. Um, who were the first two people that joined the team. Um, Brandon spent four years at Cash App and so had intimate knowledge of what it takes to build, um, you know, peer-to-peer -peer fintech app, which in a lot of ways Party Round is, right? It's not a marketplace. So it's really about, um, you know, individual networks. Um, and then Brian, who had spent the last um, six years at Cadre, right? And so as as a non-technical founder, like, you know, we we wanted to um you know we, we were excited about party rounds sarah's background as an investor she's been doing spvs since she was 19. that's a story for another day um <laughs> and uh and so yeah we we knew what we had to build um but it was obviously a non-starter unless we had really really talented um engineering and product people to help us pull that off right and so um after meeting them and um 
you know, I think when it comes to, uh, you know, we, we basically hit the ground running, um, building out the product and everything like that. We knew that um, with the type of built uh, platform that we are building, um, fundraising is so like timing based, right? So like if yeah. um, there, you know, the, it's, it's really like event based, right? And so we knew that we had to build like a really compelling brand um, because we weren't going to be able to rely on traditional like paid marketing or sales necessarily, right? Because like if I find a founder, um, no matter how good of a fit our product is, if they want to go fundraise, if they're not fundraising at the moment, there's zero way to convert that person, right? It just doesn't provide value. And so we knew that um, we were going to need to build a brand that had you know relatively high profile in the space so that when somebody starts to go fundraise or an investor is talking to somebody that's fundraising, they think party round. Um, and so the way that we went about doing that, um, and I think, you know, a lot, of, a lot of companies have done this to varying levels of success is, you know, we looked at tech Twitter as the most important, op, like audience for us. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I, I talk to other founders about this all the time who are, you know, interested in, in leveraging it in the way that we have. And usually my response to them is like, like stay far away because I think it can lead to a lot of like false positives, right? If you're building like a consumer social app that's targeting like teenagers on college campuses, like stay far, far away from Twitter, right? Because Twitter people will think it's cool. You maybe get some downloads, but your, you know, your users, your customers are not necessarily like on that channel. So you should basically stay far away. And so, you know, historically like companies would benefit from having a heavy presence on tech Twitter because it would help with fundraising and recruiting. And I think that's still true. What we knew going into it was that it would be, you know, great for fundraising, great for recruiting. Um, but more importantly, it would be great for customer and user acquisition, right? And so um, we, I would say, put a more heavy emphasis on marketing earlier in, in a company's life cycle, um, in the company's life cycle than I think a lot of companies do. And um, that that ended up, you know, working out great. I think we were lucky in a lot of senses because we knew exactly what to build right like a couple months yeah. after we had raised our pre-seed we had a product um that we were able to actually like finish our pre-seed on um and then um you know i think there was just this like basically um you know when you're building for yourself you can move like a lot faster right like you um you know i think the experience of building with Brandon and Brian um, and Sarah and the entire rest of the team is like any single time we're having a conversation about product decisions or anything like that. It's the equivalent of having like design product engineering and the customer in the same room, right? Because I'm sitting there being like, well, I wouldn't use that. And Sarah's like, well, yeah, you know, I think we should do it this way because, you know, this is what I would want, right? Yep. Um, and we're really just like, you know, even when you look at our product and our marketing and everything like that, it's basically like, we do things that are valuable to, we build things that are valuable to us and we do things that are entertaining to us. And the result of that is that other people benefit from the products and other people are entertained as well. And that's kind of core to how we operate. All right. We, we definitely have to dive deeper into the marketing side of it because that's something where one, one, I'm curious about. Two, I've seen from the beginning of when you launched this and started those drops and it was like, oh, this is really, really intriguing and obviously interesting. Details behind that. I mean, obviously, let's go to like the first drop, for instance. Like, mine, did you already know all the drops you were going to do at, at the beginning or did you do one, see how it went, did different one? You know, take me through that side of it. Yeah, totally. Drops, we, we always 
you know, I think when we were first raising our pre-seed and, and you talked to Wenwen who, um, who led our, our round, yep. um, when we were first raising that, you know, I, I remember very distinctly, you know, talking to investors and saying, we're going to do these drops, like they're going to go viral, like this is why, this is how we're going to do them. And, you know, ultimately enough people believed that we could pull that off, that they, you know, invested and, and um, supported us. But I know now at the time that a lot of those people were like, sure, sure, kid, like, you, you know, you're going to you're going to go viral and blah, blah, blah. And I think that, um, you know, we always knew that um, we would be able to execute on that strategy simply because like we were again, like we were the audience for them. Right. And so if we were doing something that we thought was entertaining, we just like it wasn't like we would never release something being like. Are, we're not quite sure what the response to this is going to be, right? Like it had to be funny to us. It had to be well done because ultimately I think your drop, you know, if you're going to pursue drops as a strategy, that's ultimately going to be a reflection of, of your product itself, right? Like if, if people can't trust you to create something, you know, some like funny app or an NFT drop or something like that, they're not going to be able to trust you, um, you know, to build a, a super compelling uh, product. Yeah. And obviously you executed really well on that with those different drops you had and a variety of them that you could see were going to go viral. You know, I guess you guys already knew in your heads that it would, but then, you know, seeing it from afar, me kind of peeking around, like, okay, of course VCs are going to share that one. Like, you know, the uh, helpful VCs one, for instance, like, of course they're going to share that one. Uh, and looking at like the startup Ibsen was really interesting just to see how it would come up with like, things that everyone knew you would say in the world. Like, it was just so interesting to see that pulling that yeah. off, like, who did you bring on the team to do that? Was it a collective between everyone on the team? Because obviously it's a big part of your growth strategy, like tactically yeah. pulling that off. I'm curious more. Yeah. So I would say that everybody from an ideation standpoint, like every single person on the team and including people that are you know outside of the immediate team, but a part of our um, sort of community, whether they're investors or friends, a bunch of people have contributed ideas. Um, we spend time every single month where we'll block off like a couple hours and just like talk about what are the craziest things that we could pursue, right? Like, you know, throwing a, a, a yacht uh, a yacht party in Miami, right? Or versus like yep. doing something like helpful VCs, right? Like no, no idea um, is off limits. And, and we'll basically talk through, um, we'll talk, talk through everything and just sort of see where, where ideas take us. Um, that being said, from an execution standpoint, um, we stay super lean there. So Josh and Dylan on our team are the only sort of people on the marketing side. And then we've, you know, effectively leveraged contractors um, to do all the design and development uh, of different drops. So nobody that's really on, nobody on like the core product or engineering or design side of the business really touches them except for uh, from a sort of creative direction standpoint. Just curious about those. I mean, what what's maybe been the most impactful one, or one that you've even enjoy, just enjoyed most? I'm curious. It's been like five or so, five or six so far. I'm curious for your perspective. I think everybody is going to gravitate towards one and have their own favorite, and that's why we've yeah. tried to make them insanely diverse and not, you know, even if we find something that works, like to not necessarily do it again, right? Like some of these yeah. things are best um, when they're like truly unique and sort of in their own category. When I think about most meaningful for me, probably the um, probably the the big tech fellowship where we gave 50k to um, a woman to quit her job at Facebook and, and pursue building her startup. And you know, when I look at like my own history, the first company that I started out of college was basically that exact experience where I had like a few friends that put up 
um, enough money for me, you know, that we knew I wasn't, I was building an ad network at the time that, that's still, um, that's actually been very successful even since I hired a CEO to replace myself. But, um, you know, at the time I, you know, had no money. I, the only alternative to building my own startup was like going to getting a job somewhere freelancing. And I had a few friends that were basically like, we will, uh, put up enough money so that you can pay yourself for like a year. Right. It was like a, you know, something like a 50 K a year salary or something like that. And using that, um, using that money, I was able to, you know, by, by having, um, enough money to pay my rent at the time, um, which in LA is not necessarily cheap, but I could go to, <laughs> could pay my rent and I could go to Trader Joe's. So I, I, I had everything that I needed to survive. Um, yeah. I was able to go all in on that idea and um, scale that business to like pretty meaningful profitability. And I was able to pay them back. Um, and that, that business does, you know, eight figures in, in, in revenue today. So I think that that was completely life-changing for me. Um, and I think that there's so many people that are capable uh, becoming, you know, successful founders that never really get the opportunity because, you know, not everybody is, um, is ready to like raise VC the second they have an idea, right. Or even raise an angel round. And so, um, I think there's like a ton of untapped potential that like really is like, you know, 50 K's worth of of difference between somebody who's going to stay in their like fang job or somebody that's going to start a company that has, you know, a real impact on the world. And, you know, in my, in my situation, you know, the business that I started, um, ultimately is not going to change the world, but, uh, you know, today it pays out hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars a month to independent creators. And that's a business that like never would have existed in any, um, in any capacity if I hadn't just had a few people, um, in my life that would bet on me. And so we're definitely hoping to scale up big tech fellowship over the next year and have more, more people go through that. Yeah, that was an interesting one. To your point, it makes you think like, how much money would it take for anyone to do that same exact thing? Like, is it you know, fifty k, thirty k, twenty five k, whatever, just to have enough yeah. runway to actually go after their ideas yeah. and what would they build? You know, it's interesting. It's it's all it's all about runway, and I think that's part of party round too. Is that um, you know, I think like bootstrapping, bootstrapping uh, gets so much love like publicly, right? People talk about oh, bootstrapping is like you know this most amazing thing. And I think it's actually pretty damaging to people that want to start companies because if you tell somebody that has uh, college loans or they have a kid or things like that, and you say, oh yeah, just like bootstrap your idea until, until you're ready to raise, that just like doesn't compute, right? Because they're like, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I need to pay my bills. I have, yeah. you know, debt. I have like children that, you know, that, that need a roof over their head, right? And so it's sort of... Um, it's this weird thing where, you know, over and over and over people say, oh, bootstrap, bootstrap. But it's really like this privileged position to be in where you have enough money that you can not only cover, you know, all of your expenses for a certain period of time, but you can also invest in your business. Right. And so, yes, it's totally possible to like stay, um, stay, you know, at a job and earn a salary and sort of bootstrap your company on the side. Um, but, um, but, you know, I think party round is also, um, hoping to solve that in a way, because a lot of people, it's extremely difficult to go out and raise like institutional VC right away. But even if you're not um, insanely well networked, most people have people in their life that would contribute, you know, one to $5,000 to help them go pursue an idea that's super important to them, right? I know yeah. that that's kind of my policy 
with my friends is like, you know, if somebody is going to go quit their job and go all in on something they're super passionate about, um, it's not necessarily, I'm not investing necessarily for the financial upside, but it's more of just like being a, for better or worse, being like a, uh, I'm, I'm just a big believer in, in the power of, um, businesses to change, you know, the world in a positive way and change the lives of individuals. Right. And so I'm willing to put money down to support that. Yeah. And even from talking to a number of angels and stuff over the last, you know, number of months and similar thing with a lot of them, you know, obviously there's the financial upside of it, but also at a smaller level, even while they got started, it's like to support people they want to support who are going after their dreams and obviously going after some interesting companies. Um, and even a number of them, you know, whether it be specifically for women, for people of color, whatever, uh, they want to invest in them. So they're you know, investing and putting their dollars in that, even if they don't like necessarily, they want the upside, but also just want to support people. Uh, we're having a mix totally. of that at Vitalize Angels. Like we, our minimum check size is a thousand. And so we also have people who are, you know, are just getting started investing, getting their feet wet. They don't have to be a credit in our group. And so it's interesting to see how that, that mix is when you're starting to invest these smaller checks to get a feel for it and start supporting people in that way. But also you do have the upside if it works out, which is obviously helpful totally. as well. And I want to get your perspective um, as, as a founder who uh, preceded, you know, you went, went from Gradient Ventures, other people on board there, and you announced the $7 million total on like TechCrunch and everything from like Andreessen and, and Packy and Austin Reef and Nick Sharma and all these different people. In that round, you had some optionality. Like, what did you want from investors? You had a little, I'm guessing a little bit more of a selection and choice there. Just from your perspective, like, what were you looking for? Totally. I think every every founder should be going into their round thinking, how can I augment uh, sort of deficiencies or how can I sort of increase the capabilities of my team effectively, right? And so I think every single person um, in our, you know, that we've raised from to date played some role, right? That role might be like they're a friend of the company and we want them involved and we don't think we're ever going to necessarily talk to them again, but it'd be fun to have them involved all the yeah. way through people that like have large audiences that can provide like real tangible benefits to the business. I think what I always tell founders is the reason to raise a party round is not so that you, every single person is going to be so, so helpful, right? It's really because you don't necessarily, if you could rate, if you raise from 50 people, you don't know which people exactly are going to be helpful, right? Yeah. And so you need to take almost like a shotgun approach because the people that are end up being most helpful are always end up being really surprising, right? Um, I, you know, you know, certain investors come in and make like heavy, heavy promises of like, I'm going to introduce you to customers. I'm going to in introduce you to engineers. In my experience, it's always the people that, you know, didn't make any promises and then are just in the right place at the right time and can make that super critical intro to a hire, or they can like help convince a hire to join or something like that. Right. Or make, you know, a really valuable customer introduction, things like that. And so I actually find, um, you know, I, I talk to founders all day long and, you know, I think that, sometimes founders actually like over um they sort of like over optimize their round in a way where i've talked to founders that are like diligencing people that are doing like a five thousand dollar check and that ends up being like a super negative signal to me because i'm like you're you're focused on the wrong things right if you're going to diligence every five thousand dollars going to the company and yes it's it's important you know you're starting a lifelong relationship effectively with this person but at the same time, like you should go into it being like, hey, I'm going to get the like 50 or so people that I think are going to be most beneficial for the stage that we're at. Um, and I'm not going to stress if some of those people kind of fall off the map and are never helpful or things like that. Right. 
Um, but I, I do think that, you know, founders pay attention and the people that are helpful, um, you know, leading, you know, after, after a round closes, you know, typically get, um, a lot more allocation in the next round. So it all, it all yeah. works itself out. Yeah, there is. I mean, something to be said for, you don't necessarily know which one is going to be the one yeah. that helps or has a critical connection to whoever because of their past. And like that one person, yeah, it's just like so critical and helpful in terms of you getting to that next spot. Yeah. As we kind of wrap things up here, I'm just curious a lot that you've done already up to this point, but you just raised some more money, obviously. What's next for Party Round? I'm just curious. Good question. Right now, we're deeply, deeply focused on sort of a cohort of our first like 50 customers, making sure the product is um, is as, uh, I would say, perfect as possible sort of for their needs, right? There's a variety. There's so much nuance to fundraising. Um, and we've just been making sure the product is um, is ready for that next co, you know, that next like 500 customers. Right. And so we have a wait list of 30,000 people. We're doing as you know best as we can to kind of work through that. Um, but yeah, right now, just making sure that the product is, um, ready, uh, ready to scale. Cause there's clearly, um, an, an insane amount of, of appetite. Yeah, absolutely. And what's the best way for people to get in touch with you, connect with you they'd like to as well, Jordy? Uh, they can email me Jordy at partyround.com or uh, Jordy Hayes on Twitter um, are the best places to uh, find me. Same, same for you, I would, I would imagine. <laughs> Perfect. Exactly. Jordy, thank you so much for the time. Cool. I really appreciate it. Dude, thanks so much for ha having me. Looking forward to the next one. Hey, thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about us, head on over to vitalize.vc. You can also follow us on Twitter at vitalizevc. Or you can follow me on Twitter at justingordon212. Have a great day and I'll talk to you in the next episode.